Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to this episode of The Emma Gunn Show featuring celebrity hairdresser Sam McKnight sharing the details of his incredible career styling supermodels and royalty. To listen to this episode ad-free and to watch our conversation in full in video, head to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now and become a patron. That's patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show to become a patron today. Welcome to this episode of The Emma Gunn Show, where I am joined by Sam McKnight, superstar hairstylist, but so much more. Trust me when I tell you that there are images indelibly printed in your brain that he has had a hand in, and that hand has been in the hair. Welcome to the show, Sam McKnight. How thank are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Now, I'm going to start with a question not about your career at all. What book are you reading at the moment? Uh, what book am I reading at the moment? I am rewriting. I just finished. Um, did you ever read Shaggy Bane? No. No. Um, I'm reading the follow-up to that, and I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> um, but they're quite. It, it's his second novel. The guy who wrote it, and the, the Shaggy Bane is a brilliant book about a boy growing up in a council estate outside Glasgow and his mother is severe alcoholic. I mean, it's quite hardcore, mm -hmm. um, but it's really sweet and it's really lovely at the same time. Lovely. And it's kind of, I guess it's 80s or 90s sort of period it's set in. Um, shows you how engrossed in it I was, I don't remember. Um, so it's kind of got a lot of resonances because I'm, I'm from a council yeah. estate in Scotland too. My mum's not an alcoholic, but it's, it's um, there was a lot of things that resonated with me. Mm. Um, just the kind of the language and the, the, um, the whole sort of, you know, feeling of growing up on a council estate in Scotland. What? Because I've heard you say that you always have a book on the go. Mm. Is that is that your thing? Do you like the fiction of it? I I like things that are a bit more real. I'm not. I can't get into really sort of stuff that I don't believe in, like mm. science fiction and stuff like that. I can't I can't um, get into that. I'm, I like a biography as well. I've got, I've got, always got two on the go, and I've. Someone sent me the Barbara Emile bio, autobiography, so I'm kind of dipping in and out of that. Um, so yeah, I like to read about people too. I was going to ask you about this actually, because I was going to ask if you liked autobiographies, because I personally love them right. and I love listening to them. Yeah, yeah. 
And the reason is because I very much enjoy seeing the world through other people's eyes. And so I was curious if you liked autobiographies, but I'm also really curious about the vantage point you've had in your career, seeing creativity through the eyes of some of the many people that you've worked with, like Patrick de Marchalier and Karl Lagerfeld, and what you learn from those experiences. And if when you are on set with those people, you see the world in a completely different way because of how they're interpreting it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you have to be like a sponge doing what I do. You have to absorb everything that, that goes on around you. And you're in a room often with one of those guys, amazing photographer, incredible designer, incredible artist, makeup artist. And you, you have, you know, five or six really clever, incredibly talented people at the top of the game their mm. game that you are collaborating with because everything is a collaboration it's not a it's not a sort of solo art it's mm -hmm. it's a collaborative process to bring an end result whatever that may, may be it may be a vogue cover it may be a, a fashion show it may be a campaign it may be a red carpet but it's a group of really really highly highly skilled people working together to create an image i mean that's basically what it is so it's all about bouncing off each other and learning from each other and and what happens a lot is you kind of find yourself sort of magnetically sort of attracted or unattracted to various different groups of people so you form little um collaborative working groups and i like to sort of flip between those groups and not get too involved with just one mm. i like to see what everyone else is doing now talk to me about collaborating though because i think when you talk <clears throat> about people with your status in the industry one of the words that will get used is um established so it feels quite like uh, runs deep into the ground like you know what you know what sam is you know what he stands for and yet as you say you've got to go on these shoots with with people who have who are known for what they do and somehow it has to meld and so i wonder about territory and compromise and what that really feels like what collaboration actually feels like when you're working at that level um i don't know it's just natural to me it's it's natural to respect someone else's views and someone else's vision because i'm only the hairdresser on a shoot you know usually i'm not the client mm. uh they're Carl at Chanel would be the client. So you're working for that person. So there is a hierarchy. But someone like Carl or Patrick or Nick Knight will always, they book you for a job. They book you because of what you bring to the job. Now that can be what you do, your personality, how you behave, how, how your rapport, mm -hmm. how you get along with them. And most importantly, um, your record for the best results, you know, because that's what it's all about in the end. So if all that works, then you have a fantastic recipe for um, optimizing that creativity. Mm. And I think, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> about the collaboration, about how you are able to be creative whilst also working, I guess, within confines well, of I someone mean, if you're working ideas. with an amazing makeup artist, um, someone you really kind of, that's really important. The, the rapport with the makeup and hair that that's vital mm -hmm. if there isn't that it doesn't really work 
um, because you have to be able to say, you know what, there's a lot of makeup going on, I'll step back a bit, or the other way around. Maybe the makeup, maybe, maybe she looks great without a lot of makeup, so it needs more hair. It will sometimes be, let's go mad with both mm -hmm. and see what happens. But um, there has to be those conversations continuously. It's not about one conversation. This is how it's going to be. And no one is moving. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really lend itself to getting the best out of the team. I don't think in my view, I'm really spontaneous. I don't like to have too much fixed idea about what we're going to do on a job. I like to be really open and think, well, what if we look at it on set? And yeah, that's great. But what if we did this? That might be better. Mm -hmm. And that, I guess that's the magic, isn't it? It's like not being wedded to a particular idea and then forcing it, trying to make it happen. It's going, do you know what? We need to change. We need to pull back. We need to do something different. Yeah, I mean, quite often if you're all in sync, you kind of have an idea, yes, this will look great like this. And you kind of, you can develop it during the day. That really works. But you have to have the, well, I think one of the most difficult things for people just starting, I find is I always tell them, one of the most difficult things is to say that's enough let's just let's just stop there or actually even to go do you know what i'm not going to do anything to hair at all because it looks amazing i'll just look after it on set mm -hmm. i'll just move it with my hands i'll just put it in the right place having the nerve to do that is is a is part of the skill mm -hmm. it's confidence isn't it yeah because quite often on a show casting the girls will come in and try the clothes on you'll be there and you think actually you know what they don't need a great deal they just need a little bit of polish or a, mm -hmm. a little bit of this or or the parting needs to change or it, it can be quite a minimal thing that can be quite transformational mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a complete glow up or a complete sort of um absolute transformation into something else it can be really subtle and it can be really effective mm. so it is essentially about all the cogs in the machine even though there's a hierarchy are the same size mm. and it's respecting each and every single one of those mm. and that's how everything works smoothly together i think so yeah when everyone knows their role and everyone knows the objective mm. i've listened to you talk about creativity before and one of your other passions is your garden and two words that come, or one word, sorry, that you've used describing both of those things is how they're meditative. And I wonder how in tune you feel you are with your intuition and how key that has been to your career and what you have brought to it creatively. I think as, as I've got older, I'm much more in tune with it than I was when I was younger, but I think that's probably pretty normal i don't know whatever normal is and um but i think i mean i've slowed down mentally a lot as i've got older i i think about things more than i did i would just sort of rush into things and on to the next thing and uh, you know who knows what city i was going to be in the next day so you're constantly on that yeah. and, and as i've got older i kind of i've my thought process has been a bit more meditative but that's i think probably because i started doing yoga about 15 16 years ago and i think that the breathing and the the thinking or the trying not to think yeah <laughs> um has kind of affected me 
Okay, so this is very interesting. Mm. No one just thinks, oh, I'll try yoga tomorrow. What was the thing that made you start yoga? I tried to do it a few times. I tried to go to classes and I didn't get it. I don't mm. know, I can't. This is, I, I'm watching these sort of 85-year-old women bending backwards and I kind of can't even touch my toes. And I'm thinking, oh, this is just ridiculous. I can't do this. And I was in Ibiza one summer and somebody recommended a lady who came and did one-on-one -on -one yoga lessons and it clicked. She was amazing and it clicked. So when I went home, I actually found um, that a lady called Audrey Tom, who I knew as a model in the 80s, was a really good yoga instructor. So I've kind of been working with Audrey ever since, really. But I, there was a, um, I had an issue with my back, with my um, sciatic nerve. And the surgeon said, I had some injection, the surgeon said, you need to kind of tone down the yoga a bit and do Pilates. So I've ended up doing a kind of mixture of both and a bit of weight training. So it kind of, it's, it's, it's very varied now. Was the sciatica brought on by years of traveling, carrying kit everywhere? Probably, They're not easy probably, things yeah, to carry yeah, around the yeah, world, which yeah, you were doing. Probably, I would imagine, yeah. So do you think that it was appropriate? Do you think that there was always going to be this point where there was not a slowdown, but maybe a change of pace? I don't know. No, I, you know, I, I, I don't think it was that. I think it just, I think it's just getting older. You get to your late forties, fifties. And I mean, well, I definitely changed. And um, I suddenly found myself, um, because I lived in Maida Vale, so I would go to Regent's Park and rent a deck chair and read a book in the evening. And I started thinking, oh, I wonder if I could have a garden of my own. And I never had that thought before. Mm -hmm. So is that just, get, is that just getting <laughs> older? I don't know. You know, so you, your mind changes. That's a good thing. Yeah. But what interests me about that is I think I've said this before about my career in magazines slightly different from yours in that it's like a juggernaut and you just have to hold on because the second you get that job it's just moving at such a pace that you have to just be constantly reactive and it is it can whiz by in a flash and it would be a real shame I think for for it just to whiz by in a flash and to not to stop and smell the roses for an expression there you go. Which is just for you so do you was it was it also a time where there was maybe a god I've been doing this for a while I'm really good at it I've loved it and just it was appropriate to reflect and it, did it allow you to appreciate what would come next um I guess I, w I, I was in a flat I was in a lovely lovely top floor flat and I got the most amazing sunsets in there it was fantastic but that was the first time I'd, I'd, I'd read a book it was nice long summer evenings I'll go up to the park and I'll sit in the rose garden and um Nothing, just just sort of reading. I don't know where I'm going with this now. Uh, <laughs> just, just be reading. And I, I suddenly thought I wouldn't mind having this of my own, having a little garden of my own. Um, imagining this sort of, you know, little house, the little garden. Yeah. And um, I kind of, that's when I started to look. So... I don't know what I'm saying. I think I'm curious about this sort of shift in mindset simply because, and we were talking about this before we started recording, I think for a lot of people, the lockdowns were almost like a forced uh, 
reassessment, if you like, because you have the time to think. So I find it interesting that while you were still working all the time, traveling the world, mm. the hundreds of Vogue covers, etc., it sort of happened organically for you that there was well, there was a moment of reflection. I, I think probably the I value my own company. Mm. I'm really good on my own, and I I need my own space, and I'm around people a lot, a lot of people, a lot of egos, a lot of noise, a lot. And I, I like some quiet time for myself. Mm. And I think probably that was me, you know, somehow something in me was kind of pushing me to do that, you know, because I needed it. Yeah. And I don't, I, I think also getting older, you change. I mean, you constantly, not just getting older, you change, you change, you constantly change. Mm. Well, I am. I mean, mm. when I say you, I mean me. I've, I constantly change. My, my whole working environment changes from day to day. And it, you, you go through periods of working with certain groups of people, yeah. then that kind of organically changes into suddenly be for the next 10 years, you're working in France most of the time. And then for eight years, you're in America most of the time in and out. So, and the people you're working with changes. So I think that that constant change is also what's kept me really interested, mm -hmm. you know, because if it was the same all the time, I probably wouldn't <laughs> have lasted this long, but that constant change and the constant change of people is really stimulating. Mm -hmm. Really, well, you've said, actually, one of the things I uh, noted down about something you said about your career is, I've had a career working with nice people. I don't thrive on drama or tension or fear. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't find that challenging. I find it really boring. You know, I think, I think when there's a, I don't know, there's a climate of fear and people kind of... How can I say this? Um, <laughs> I just work well when everyone gets along, mm. you know, when everyone kind of respects each other. And I, a lot of the people I work with have been with me for over 20 years, mm -hmm. 15 years. It, it's, I find that really good. I work well in those circumstances. It's nice when you know how each other works. Mm. But it also means that you, and again, another quote from you is, I think you were working with quite a, a celebrated team but perhaps the energy wasn't quite right. Perhaps there wasn't enough of the niceness around that you're drawn to. And you said, I'm just going to say no next time. Yeah, I think, I, I think, I, I think also being in my position, I'm really lucky that I can say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put myself in that, mm. that situation. But I've done that for a long time. Uh, because I've worked really hard and I know that you don't get the best out of me in those sort of negative dramatic mm. dramatic situations i haven't had much experience of that but it does exist yeah. and maybe that maybe other people work well under those circumstances but i don't i mean life's too short it's it's about having it's about having fun too really isn't it really if it's not fun i mean i know everything can't be fun in games and hula hoops but i think i don't take things too seriously mm. Let's shift gears a little bit. I want you to tell me, if you can, about what it was like watching Punk emerge from the top deck of oh, the yeah. number 22 <laughs> bus. Um, well, when I first moved to London in 75, I mean, it was pretty bleak. It was pretty, you know, 
mm. grey. All the buildings are still covered in black suit. Because it was only then that they had started cleaning the buildings. Everything was really Post-war. black. Yeah, and, um, and there were still um, and there were still bomb sites, you know, sort of um, that were car parts, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was because a building had been destroyed by a bomb or a few buildings. So there was still all that, and there was the the three day week. There was all that stuff just before then. So when I came to London, it was not. Of course, there were the wealthy parts, but it, it was a pretty sort of downtrodden city. It was, what was that, 30 years after the war, 20 years after mm. the war, 30 years after the war. I mean, it was coming through hard times. And um, so there was sort of this reactionary movement in the King's Road, which kind of quickly turned into punk rockers. Mm. And my route to work was from Putney to Piccadilly Circus because I worked in the salon in Miss Selfridge in Regent Street that doesn't exist anymore, (laughs) uh, which I loved. And um, so I got the, because I was at the first bus stop on the route, so I'd get the front front seat uh, and I got the full view of punk emerging up the King's Road from the top floor of a double-decker bus on my way to and from work and that was amazing that was pretty incredible because it went right past movie and shop so i'm trying to draw a picture in my head of what that could look like and it was it just every was it small changes all the time because you're not the first person who's been on this podcast creative who has said there was something magical there were ley lines on that king's road there was something really magical about oh it, it was amazing because in 75 when i got there it was kind of still it was bieber hippies um, men in bowler hats, <laughs> going to, lots of men yeah. with briefcases and bowler hats because that's how they dressed in the city. Uh, I mean, it was a real sort of change of times. I know you hear people saying the 60s was black and white and the 70s was in colour. And there is an element of truth in that mm. because suddenly people had colour TVs, so people dressed differently. Suddenly there was colourful stuff in the shops. And this little shop called i think what was it called too too young to live too something to die <laughs> too soon to die what was it what's the name of it anyway um uh because just along the road from there before then there was a hippie shop called granny takes a trip at the other end of the block which was really famous people and then, need to start naming then, shops better yeah, These and are then great bieber, shop oh, um, bieber was in ken high street that was still going and then vivian opened her shop and then they kind of the punk thing emerged quite quickly mm. um but you could see the whole thing the whole thing changing from the hippie sort of 60s to this sort of well, the 70s, there wasn't just one tribe. There were so many. I think the 70s was... I always say the 70s was the first time that vintage fashion became sort of the norm because you'd, you'd have people dressing like, you know, the Great Gatsby, the, mm-hmm. the whole 20s, 30s thing. Then there was a 40s, 50s thing. There was an Americana thing. There was disco. There was sort of boob tubes and spandex trousers, uh, and that's just for the men. <laughs> and and there was punk, and it was all happening at the same time, mm. and it was incredible. And this all happened in the King's Road. The King's Road was the kind of the 
epicenter of the whole thing. Mm. If you watch old footage of 60s Dolly Birds in the King's Road, it, it, it's quite extraordinary, that late 60s thing, because there's suddenly this, this sort of intense colours in the King's Road, but veering off that was still great. You know, mm. it, it, was, um, it was an amazing time. It was a kind of emergence, I think. It was like a sort of butterfly emerging from the post-war depression. I can imagine it would be on the bus that as you would come round the corner and suddenly see it, it would feel like going, like you'd go through a bubble into something well, completely different. Well, you see, going up the King's Road, there, there, was, there was all the amazing antique shops in the, in the New King's Road, and then they had these incredible antique clothing shops that sold kind of Victoriana that, mm. that were amazing. And then you, as you went up, it was a gradual sort of journey up the King's Road to Sloan Square. It's just so beautiful. Now, no, it was amazing. I'm curious about how it feels today because it feels as though there were those sort of microcultures popping up all over the place. Mm. And there could be this whole movement <laughs> on the street next to you and you wouldn't necessarily know because it maybe happens online. So having seen something so big emerge, do you see it now? Do you see all these little influences popping up all over the place? Are you able to keep track of any of that or be plugged in? I mean, in? I, I don't know. If I was 20, I'd probably have a different answer for you. But I, mm. I, I, it, everything's much more globalised now. Mm. And I don't think it's quite so... Um, they're not quite so many of them and not mm. quite so different. Yeah. I don't see that from, from my point of view. But my point of view is from someone in their late 60s who's kind of you know, been around a long time. So if you'd ask, if you ask someone who's 20, you may get a very different answer. You may see that on TikTok or Instagram or well, something. Quite. But from what I see on TikTok and Instagram, not that I look at TikTok very much, <laughs> I see, I see the globalization of things. Mm -hmm. If you were to look at your career, so we've talked about literally seeing punk evolve and sort of become technicolor on the king's road if you were to look back over your career can you look back and distinctly remember trends coming and really peaking and things fading away has it felt like that kind of ebb and flow of of cultures of movements of looks um yeah i mean it has it's i mean i was around late 70s that's when i started and that was very much the disco punk sort of that americana era when new york fashion became really mm. popular and i worked in Mont brown and south mountain street in the late 70s which then became another sort of offshoot of the king's road but it was much more about um high fashion and browns yeah. and um so we had that sort of late 70s period and then the 80s um became this more um fashion became available in a much wider way then because in the late 70s you'd get sent out from the salon to do a fashion show there'd be eight models and you'd have one assistant and the only press that were there would be 50 people there or maybe a hundred and they, they wouldn't be allowed to photograph anything and they'd be sketching that that was what fact because it was a, it yeah. was it was a trade show mm. basically and in the 80s that started to change they started to have bigger audiences mm. at fashion shows especially in paris and the models became more androgynous and then that turned it but models like jenny howarth 
And then in the mid 80s, I, you started to have Naomi and Christie and Linda coming on GOSIES as sort of 15, 16 year olds. And, but things don't happen overnight. Mm. They made to the public, but when you're behind the scenes, you see things evolving. You see these girls coming, oh, wow, she's amazing. She's amazing. And, and they start the magazine. The, the, suddenly there were more magazines. There was ID yeah, in the face yeah. and Vogue and Bazaar. Before there was probably two magazines and suddenly there were lots of different magazines. Mm. So there was much more outlet for fashion. Then there was TV shows. There was the clothes show, which was really big and mm -hmm. really important. And they would have documentaries. It started to become public fodder, you know, and then by the early 90s, it, it just blew up. You know, it was it was pretty incredible. It was amazing how that happened. And that was just uh, in the course of 10 years, really, you know. So, yeah, I have seen it. Um, I've seen things come and things go. People come, people go, people stay. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the people I worked with in the very beginning, I still work with and mm -hmm. see to this day. And social media has been amazing for me for that, because like I was saying yesterday, um, I did a book a few years ago and I haven't got Yasmin Gowry, who was a big model mm. in the 90s in my book because we couldn't track her down to get to get permission for her to use the picture. So she's sadly not in there because no one could know where she was. No one could find. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And suddenly she's reappeared on Instagram a few months ago. And it's just amazing to see because you, you spend so much time in close contact with people and you, you're with these girls and you, from their teenagers. Mm -hmm. So you kind of watch them growing up and, and suddenly her and Helena Christensen have posted a picture and Helena said, I haven't seen this girl for 25 years. I'm so happy. And it's really, really lovely. So, and I think if social media wasn't there, I wouldn't have that. And that's kind of why I love social media. Mm. I love that keeping in contact with people think, you're not going to be out going out to dinner with them tomorrow night, but you can, you know, you say, oh my God, how are you? Yeah. You've got three kids, amazing, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it, it's fantastic for that. I love it. It allows you to bring people close again. Yeah. Maybe they have well, for distance. years you'd work with people, oh, I wonder what happened to so-so, I wonder what happened to so-so, because you'd be intensely working with someone for, I mean, with all the supermodel era, there were probably 15 models that we worked with, you know, every day for mm. what, eight, nine, ten years. Yeah. And then suddenly they all, go off and have kids and 
you know, what happened to them? Their social media comes on, everyone's reappearing, you know, and, and it's really lovely. And some of those women are still modeling in their 50s and 60s. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's amazing. That wouldn't have happened in the 80s. I mean, I love the way that everything's except anything goes now. I love that all the, all the, all the doors have been smashed down and all the, um, all the rules have been broken. And it's, it's fantastic. You know, you, you have Kirsty yeah. McManamy with long gray hair down to here, opening a fashion show. It's amazing. Would never have happened. Never. Has it been throughout your career? Do you think it has been about pushing to get those barriers to break? Always. Mm. I mean, I would say that the rules are there to be broken, you know? <laughs> I mean, there aren't, it's, it's, it's the same with hair, you know, there are no rules anymore. You do what you want, you know, people, people can do what they want, but it, it's taken generations of people to, to get there, you know? Mm. So it's, it's that didn't happen yeah, overnight. It doesn't that, happen overnight. That's a gradual thing, and obviously nothing. You know, there's still um, there's still rules to be broken, and I um, I applaud the young generation for keeping on breaking them. Support for this podcast comes from my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Emma Gunn Show. This podcast is what I do. It's my job. It's how I earn a living, and with Patreon and your support as patrons. I can put the time required into research, booking guests, paying for editing and production, booking and paying for studios, and much more that goes into creating episodes of the show. Your support as patrons allows me to create a show for you that's informative, inspiring, educational and entertaining, with guests who'll add value to your lives. Thank you to everyone who's already become a patron of this podcast, I appreciate it so much. I've never asked for you to pay for the show in the six and a half years I've been making it. And all I'm asking now for ad-free audio and some video episodes of the podcast is £3 a month. That's just £3 a month, less than a magazine and most cups of coffee. And the more patrons there are, the more bonus content I'll be able to create. So become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show. I want to ask you about celebrity. And it's because a few years ago, Terry O'Neill, the photographer, had an excellent exhibition called Celebrity. I don't know if you went. Mm -hmm. But it was about how there was a real change, sea change in how celebrity was, because we kind of, it went from being mysterious, if you think about Marilyn Monroe, we still know very little, although there is a film coming out soon, so we may know more. And then there was this real change where the super famous, there wasn't any mystery anymore. We knew quite a lot. And I wonder what your perception is of celebrity and how it's evolved, considering as well that when you started, fashion was very much inhabited by fashion people and models. And now fashion is, it's merged a lot with film, with music, and celebrities these days have to be models. And I guess embrace being models as well, because they are on the cover of magazines. And that was unheard of, I guess, at the start of your career. Oh, it was absolutely unheard of. I mean, it was, rare that there'd be a celebrity on the cover of a magazine and usually for many years if it was a celebrity it would be the celebrity as the celebrity you know it would be them mm. you know hello magazine style in their home or something mm -hmm. you know it would be them showing the persona that they wanted to show you know to mm -hmm. the public completely understand that and even in what we do even um backstage I mean, there are no secrets anymore. It's all out there. Because mm -hmm. even what 
15 years ago, you wouldn't have known who did the hair at Chanel show. The public wouldn't have known. Yeah. Now you kind of have to do a performance and a song and dance about it because because <laughs> there's a there's a hunger for all that information. A little bit of me misses this sort of the mystery of it the mystique of it because but that's gone the genie's out the bottle it's not coming back so we better make the most of it it's fine <laughs> and we do and and it's still good fun but i think the interesting thing is that what you just said is i've been saying that for years models um celebrities now have to be models mm. it doesn't work them just being this one thing they need to be models but actresses can act like a model so it's mm -hmm. fine it's okay but i think that's 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 a big that's been a big change over the last decade or so where whereas where, where the, the the actress will have to or the celebrity will have to adopt a different character because it it has to draw attention to people buying that publication or, mm -hmm. or that brand they don't want to see them I mean, people's attention span is so short now, mine included. Um, so you, people just want new all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that's going to go. Um, I have a few celebrity clients who are very, very clever at balancing that. Because mm -hmm. I think it's hard sometimes when, you know, you sell your soul to the devil and there's no kind of going back from that. I think, I think what's interesting is the ones that do keep a bit of mystique i think that's invaluable really mm. you know actually one of my questions here is from your vantage point if you went if you heard young kids young teenagers saying they wanted to be famous when they grew up what would you say would you grab them by the shoulders and say go for it or would you say have that think again um you can't really tell teenagers trying so you can't you can't say don't do that but i i what i would say is okay be famous for doing something don't just want to be famous for just being famous because mm. that's really empty yeah. that's that's not going to be as fulfilling as you imagine it to be mm. or is it i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know i wouldn't have thought so but maybe it is you know so everyone has to make their own um, decisions and their own going their own journey. I always imagine it must be like the sword of Damocles constantly hanging over your head if there's no reason for you to have had the fame. For me, yes. And but I wonder if the young generation don't feel like that. You know, it just is a thing and that's how it is. Mm. And there's a need to be famous. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. With mystery, which you just mentioned to having that mystique and the genies out of the bottle. But with that mystery comes curiosity and you have the kind of job and move in the kind of circles that people are very curious about. And in actual fact, I was listening to you talk about the 80s in New York, and all I want to do is just download your memories into my own brain. <laughs> because for me, I'm so curious about that, what that was like, because I can imagine RuPaul, I can imagine what it looked like. I just, I just want to know what it was like to be there. I think RuPaul was 90s. Oh, really? 80s was... Um... I mean, New York was a very different city. New York yeah. was, it was really rough. It was dingy, wasn't I it? I remember the first time I went there was 81 or 80, 82, and people were still wearing platform shoes and, and, uh, and flare trousers. Now, no one had worn that in the UK since the mid seventies. You know, it was, it, everything felt orange. It felt you were in, um, I don't know, was it Hill Street Blues? Whatever, whatever. <laughs> that's probably San Francisco. I don't know, uh, in a sort of, 
you know, orange tinted cop show. That's what it felt like. Right. Um, and it because the city was bankrupt, wasn't it? Mm. And and there was this sort of really visible, palpable separation between downtown and uptown because mm. downtown was really dingy, uptown was really shishi. Um, I actually did the hair for the Uptown Girl video on Krista Brinkley. That was my you first video did I did. That not. was early eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's Uptown. So there was a the, the, there's a reason she was an Uptown girl because she was you know she was an Angaro couture and and I think he was downtown. So yeah, there was a real divide, and the eighties saw that kind of all the people from Uptown wanting to go to those dingy clubs downtown yeah, yeah. and the emergence of the club scene madonna all that kind of stuff was it happened so fast and by the end of the 80s it was there was sort of it was a vastly different city and i was there for the whole thing and i absolutely loved it, it was amazing <laughs> and i survived to tell the tale well so well, so, I'm not telling any tales. No, and do you know what? I'm <laughs> going to come back to something which actually I think is really lovely because I want to download your memories about what it was like in the 80s. I'd love to hear the stories. I would love to get a sense of how it smelt, how it, the noise. How I, bet, I bet the city reverberated. I bet those clubs felt a certain way. But you actually have said that it doesn't, a lot of these memories, particularly when they're attached to people of note to a lot of people might feel curious about. You said it doesn't feel right sharing it. It feels like it belongs to a few people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a friend of mine did a book recently and asked me to um, participate in it, which I did a bit, but I, I, I said, I said, I'm not gonna tell you these stories because they don't belong anywhere apart from whoever was there you know they were private and and there weren't phones there weren't cameras there was it was it was really private you yeah. know and that's why if you do see photos like patrick mcmullen the photographer has loads of club photos in his there's a i think his book is called so 80s it's a really great book about the new york sort of downtown club scene i've been watching the warhol diaries on netflix which has got a lot of great footage in it mm. but there's not as much, there's, people didn't take pictures like they do now. People didn't, certainly didn't make videos when they were out. So it's quite, it's a, it's a it, it, it has a special place to me. And you know, when, when you're hanging out with people, a lot of those stories don't mean anything if you weren't there, or they mean something else if you're telling those people who weren't there. Because I used to find myself, you'd sort of start telling a story and, and you kind of realize, oh, they don't. They didn't really understand because they weren't you there. So I'll just, I'll just, you had to be, you had to be there. So I'll just kind of stop it. And yeah, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I think there's something sacred about those times. And, that, and I think we all feel the same way. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, if I'd sat in front of you as an interviewer and had that answer, I probably would have been like, for goodness sake. <laughs> but actually, I was listening to an interview with Penn from Penn and Teller. Pendulette. And he was talking about why he doesn't tour with clairvoyants or psychics, because he says that when you, you basically can um, bastardize someone's memories of someone who has since passed, because you, you change them in a certain way, you add new meaning to a memory, and therefore you're taking away the only thing that was left. And actually, whether people have gone or whether it's just a moment in time, sharing it sometimes can just 
bolt onto it in a way that distorts it from what it was originally. And so I really appreciate that because <laughs> it keeps it pure. Yeah, and it absolutely. Keeps it... It just, it just, those stories in memories don't really belong anywhere else. Mm. But they were great. We had, we, I mean, there was a few of us shared a house in, in the city for about three or four years. Um, sort of models and hair and makeup people traveling in and out of the city from Europe. And there was a few um, videos and, and uh, Super 8 films, and we'll sometimes get them out and have a little night and, and, and watch them. And I mean, it's quite depressing because everyone looks so young. You think, oh my God. But, um, <laughs> but it only means something if you were there. It doesn't mean anything if you weren't there. Mm, no, which is why it's so precious yeah. and so pure. If someone's listening to this and they are feeling inspired by your story or they've looked at your career and they've thought, wow, I'd love to do something like that. I'm curious about any advice that you might share with them. And I think one of the things I wanted to pull out and ask you about is something you said that you did early on in your career, which is make yourself available and say yes to every opportunity until you get a sense of what you want to do. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's make yourself available. If someone... If you're trying to get into this business in, in what I do, if someone wants to book you, don't say you're going to your cousin's wedding. You know, just just do the job. If, you, mm. if you'd rather go to your cousin's wedding, then this is probably not the right job for you. You know, if, if you're, yeah. because you kind of have to give up a lot. I mean, you have to give up an awful lot. But the other side of that is it's amazing, mm -hmm. you know, but you have to be prepared to really throw yourself in, really give it up and, you're not. You're probably not going to be home at eight o'clock at night. You might not be home till midnight. You may not get home till five in the morning. But and that's just from the club in New you York. Better, you better. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the clubs in New York. Be, you you might go straight to work from the club at five <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Um, and my God, it was good fun. But no, you have to. You just have to give yourself into it, and then and then you may f you may find yourself with a group that of like-minded people so you're all doing the same thing so it's easier in mm -hmm. a way mm -hmm. you know you can moan to each other jesus christ we're not going to be finished till three in the morning okay you know it, it's fine it's all right mm. but be prepared to miss a lot of cousins weddings and birthdays and all that kind of stuff i certainly don't want to diminish what you've achieved over your career but when i was going back through it i thought there were quite a lot of happy accidents in here and happy accidents that were like ladders on the snakes and ladders yeah. board, if you like. For example, is it correct that your first Vogue shoot you were able to do because Kerry couldn't do it, was unwell or something? Yeah, we worked in the same salon and Kerry was, Kerry Warren was the brilliant hairdresser who was doing most of the Vogue covers. And um, I was sent out to do a Vogue shoot because Kerry either was ill or he's double booked or something. So I got to do it. And then, and I worked with the the, the wonderful Anna Harvey who, I then went out to work with for many years and but that was an accident I mean, I mean that's because you make yourself available mm. you know and I think that's what it's 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 timing isn't it? it's been a lot of it is well a lot of it is really hard work let's mm -hmm. make no bones about that it's very time consuming but it's all about the timing as well. It's all about being in the right time at the right place for what you want. And you might not know that at the time, but you might look back and think, oh my God, if I hadn't done that job, I wouldn't have met you and I wouldn't have worked with you for 30 years, mm. you know? So there we go. Yeah. As we draw to the end of our time together, I wanted to ask you something I've always been really curious about. I came into magazines in the early 2000s 
And at that point, I was very aware from all of the conversations I was having with people that there was less money in magazines than there used to be and how there used to be these amazing 10 day trips and yeah. five photographs would be taken on the beach and it would take half an hour or something. And it was just, it was, it seemed like it was extremely luxurious and that all of a sudden the, uh, the purse strings were tightened. And so I'm curious to know where commerce meets creativity. And if you did have that freedom for such a long time, and maybe the budgets were being thrown as you as more magazines were coming out and people realized that this was something that could be invested in, what it's like to still create the same output when maybe it's getting a little harder, maybe there's less money around, or it's just, you've got less time, when it just changes in that way. Oh, you just do it. I mean, it, it still was being done, you know, it'd just be, the pressure would be a bit more. You wouldn't have those couple of days to, to, for the model to get a bit of a tan before, or you wouldn't have that extra day to, the photographer wouldn't have the extra day to, um, location hunt, mm -hmm. uh, or you would, as soon as the job was finished, you'd be on a plane that night to the next location, or you'd have to do, three magazines one after the other mm -hmm. in those two weeks and not just one so it just it just got condensed and it has been condensing and condensing into that and a distilling it ever since mm. but it doesn't mean that it's the death of creativity it just means it's it's well, not the, definitely not the death of creativity absolutely not there's so much creativity but there's so many amazing young hair and makeup teams around now incredible i mean when i started i there was hardly any of us and um now it's become a thing, hasn't it? Because it, it, people didn't really know about us from, for a long time, but now now the genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> that Because um, uh, well, we used to have trouble getting assistance for shows and shoots and things because they couldn't leave the salon mm. for too long. And But now that's, it's much more acceptable if they're working in salons, they can come and help us for a couple of weeks or the salon see the yeah. value in that. And, and it's, it's, it's much healthier, but I think, um, it's definitely not the death of, it's, I think it's the, I think what's happening now is really exciting for me because I think this age now is the beginning of new creativities, new outlets, new ways of doing things. And, I mean, people say it's the death of print. Not that print is going to survive in a different way. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting. For instance, the last few seasons of lockdown, people embrace um, when there haven't been fashion shows so much. And designers like Dries van Noten, who I work with, have just done the most amazing films and photo shoots, which they would never have done yeah. before. And And he's really loved it. You know, so I think, different creative outlets will always emerge they'll always evolve things should always evolve and i think the fashion business had been let's face it doing the same thing for 30 years and everyone had been saying oh maybe you know what can we do to change what can we and change was forced upon us during lockdown and mm -hmm. i think what will emerge from that what started to emerge from that has been amazing and I can't wait to see what else happens. Now, one thing that is happening is a few years ago, pre-lockdown, Hair by Sam McKnight, which had only just dawned on me when I was doing my research, is what your credit would have always been yeah. in the magazines. Yeah. Hair by Sam McKnight. <laughs> so four products, I think, was the initial launch. And now it is expanding. Now it is growing. So this is a, this is a new phase, isn't it, for Sam McKnight? This is a huge new phase for us. Yeah. And we're a very small team. Um, 
we were kind of ready to go with some new products before lockdown and then lockdown happened and you know various stories um and i thought okay i'm gonna look at this as an opportunity not as a disaster and i'm gonna get i have time on my hands i've been forced to stand still so we went further and we found a new manufacturer and we kind of developed um even more products we changed the packaging to be much more sustainable we changed everything to vegan so we kind of reformulated a lot of stuff and now we have a full range of hair care hybrids and styling products which we are very proud to be launching right now imminently yeah um now i don't have your skill when it comes to hair but if i use these products am i still going to get a decent result or am i going to screw it up how have you made it so we've made we've, can... we've developed products um basically it's it's a a, a distinct edit of my kit of mm. what i need to get optimum results from every hair type quickly and easily because i don't have much time when i'm a photo shoot mm. it means with less time than we've ever had before so for me it was really important that we developed products that were really easy to use and that cut the time down dramatically mm. our four dry stylers cut 20 minutes to half an hour out of getting volume in hair because we didn't have to wet the hair mm -hmm. so starting from that point uh, everything we develop is going to be very very easy to use we're trying to demystify the sort of idea of doing your own hair because it it shouldn't really it shouldn't really be a chore that you're not looking forward to mm -hmm. it should be something that is just part of a, a, a routine and what, I, what i'm trying to do too is i'm trying to kind of <sighs> stop the negativity about hair we're not going to be the brand that goes your hair is wrong and this is what you need to fix it i'm going to give you a range of products that will be useful to you with your type of hair mm. that you will be able there'll be something there you'll be able to use to get the results you want not it's it's not going to be that looking for the problem to fix mm -hmm. it's about the result yeah and it's about the speed and ease of getting that result i've used the ones that have been sent so far thank you very much and they are incredibly easy to use and you can use a little bit get a lovely result you can use a bit more we've, and wrap we, it up. We, we've done light formulations that are buildable and they're brush outable at the mm. same time so they're pretty much foolproof you know it's not that's that's not that product that you're going to put it in your hair and you think, oh god i've put too much i can never yeah, get yeah. it out we're not going to do that i'm trying to take the fear out of fear away from doing your own hair mm. i think that's what you've achieved sam mcknight it's been such a pleasure thank you to speak to you to hear so many of your stories but not all of them but not all of them <laughs> and i respect that maybe, that, to, maybe that's another time <laughs> another time uh maybe yes a more relaxed location and i'll sign a, a non-disclosure um it's been a pleasure to have you on the show please let everybody know where they can find you on instagram 
It's at, I'm looking, it's at Sam McKnight One. Oh, you're asking me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just got a big grin on my face. Yeah, I'm at Sam McKnight One and our brand is at Hair by Sam McKnight. And obviously those links will be in the show notes, but thanks for coming Thank on you. the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Why not become a patron of The Emma Gunn Show today? For just £3 a month, you can enjoy episodes of the podcast ad-free and in video. That's just £3 less than a cup of coffee for a whole month of the show. Your support means I can keep creating the podcast and also invest in production and creation of bonus content for you to enjoy. To become a patron, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.